This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode. Beautiful sunny day here in Kansas City. Today, excited to uh, help you welcome my guest. She's been working with me for about three years. I've known her for five or six. She's uh kind of MHP specialist, knows a little bit of everything, been vital to my company and our success. Uh, Kristen Dreiser. Kristen, thanks for coming on. Hey, I'm glad to finally be on the show. Only took you a hundred episodes. Right. You're you're the you're the person behind the scenes, but today you're in front of the scenes. So Kristen handles a lot of the marketing on the podcast. And if you get my weekly newsletter, she does that. If she's giving you any uh, special treatment or discounts on some of my fixed fee documents, she doesn't tell me about it, but she's got the she she knows my password, she knows my social security number. Um I trust her inherently, but uh, so don't, don't even pick her off. But Kristen, again, welcome to the show. Tell us a little more about your background uh, for those of the, our audience that do not know you, and then we'll jump into today's show. Sure. Um, I think I'm a lot like anybody in the mobile home park industry. Um, we didn't go to college for mobile homes. There's no mobile home master's program, you know, that you get your bachelor's for. Um, I went to college at University of Kentucky, go Wildcats, and I worked in integrated strategic integrated strategic communication. So really just a fancy way of saying marketing degree. Um, I never planned on being in the mobile home park space. I actually post-college um, did some work with some nonprofits and worked in the fashion industry um, where I did buying for a local boutique in Quincy, Illinois. Um, decided I needed something more. So I jumped on the crazy mobile home park train and three years later, um, it's treated me well. Um, I've grown, I've learned so much. And, you know, got some new skills that I'm here to share today. Sounds good. Well, one thing that, that you're good at that most people aren't, and it's it's one of my least favorite parts of the business, <laughs> is dealing with mobile home title issues. We got the other attorneys here handle the title work on uh, real estate title, but the title work on the mobile homes, you know, predates a lot of these other employees here, but then also it's an animal of its own. So I wanted today just to walk through some of those some of the problems and some of the solutions to getting mobile homes titled. So uh, I'll hand it over to you to, to run point on some of the problems you've, you've been through. I don't know how many hundred of these things. And, and uh, I kind of refuse to go to the DMV at this point in my life, even though I've got it, I've got to go, I've got it behind me. Actually, I've got, I've got to go before my next birthday because my driver's license expires. So other than that, I'm only going to the DMV every five years, um, but you've been there many times. So yeah. Tell us about, just tell us, maybe start it off. What's the general process if all goes right? And then we'll, we'll walk sure. through some of the nightmare scenarios that are always present in the, the world of trailers. Right. So, you know, in a perfect world, we would all love for this process to be, I'm going to describe. So perfect world, you find a mobile home. You want to purchase that mobile home. You contact the seller. You say, hey, I want to purchase this. They go, great. They pull out their title. It is registered in their name. It's the correct make and model in VIN. And they say, great, let's sell this to you. Um, on a majority of the titles, sometimes it's on the front, sometimes it's on the back. It'll be a signature place for the seller and a signature place for the purchaser. Um, at that time, you would have the seller um, 
sign that they are selling the home. And then you as the buyer would put below your signature. Once you do that, you would go to your um, local Secretary of State's office, DMV, and you would go into the title um, side and said, hey, you know, I want to come in. I want to change the title, put it in my name. And they have you fill out some paperwork, you pay a fee, um, and fees are always, again, located online um, if you want to check your local Secretary of State's office. Um, and you do that, you fill out the information, pay, turn it into them, give it about two, three weeks, pre-COVID era, yeah, and one. yeah, <laughs> pre-COVID, two, three weeks, post-COVID, six to eight, depending on your state, we're in Illinois, so it's definitely leaning towards eight weeks, um, and you get that mailed back to you in the mail, and you have a clean, what we call the clean title, which means there are um, no liens, no anybody else's name, it's just, it is what it is, like your car title would be, you have, you know, the information in your name in print, and you're good to go. You want, that's what you want. You want. I want my name on the front. I want the title to mean that. And there's nothing on the back. There's no lien. There's nobody else. And and it's it's a simple, easy process. But as, as we both know well, a lot of people don't transfer the titles properly. One of the most common mistakes, and it's not really that big a problem, to be honest, is when it's, been, it's transferred hands two, three, four, five, six times and nobody retitled it. And it's not a problem so long as the only person that's sold, or the only person whose name on it is a prior seller and not a prior buyer. So for example, if John Smith was the first owner and before John Smith, the original title is called an MCO, Manufacturer Certificate of Origin or CO. You get this when you buy from the manufacturer. And if you're a licensed retailer dealer, you don't have to pay sales tax because it's basically it's inventory until you sell it to the first person. Most states, you got to pay sales tax from the outset. A lot of states discount it, like Missouri, Kansas, for example, it's 60 cents on the dollar of a regular sale versus you know, a can of Coke or something. Um, but if, if the MC, if I've, if I've got my retailer's license, I sell to John Smith. John Smith's supposed to put in his name. If John Smith does so, and he pays the sales tax, um, and, and, and generally as a retailer, I have to be in the middle of it. I require that um, on a new home. So it'll be in John Smith's name. If John Smith wants to sell to Kristen, not a big deal. He signs it over to Kristen. What typically happens is John Smith sells it to, to Joe, and then later to Bob, and then to Susie, and 10 years go by, and then Kristen wants to buy it from Susie. And if, it, if it's got John's name on it or nobody's name in the back, then John Smith can sign the back of it. And it's probably not the big deal. It's going to look like you bought it from John Smith. The problem is, and that normally happens, basically it's all those people down the line don't want to go get through, go through the process. And as long as it's not dated, you won't get penalties. If there's dates on it, then typically there's a penalty. You got like 30 days to do it and it starts racking up pretty good. Most states have a cap, but I mean, it could easily be 200, 300, 200, 300 bucks in, in penalties uh, per title. But let's go to the, the normal bad scenario. John Smith sold it to somebody and along and so, and to Joe, I think in my example, Joe's name is on there as the buyer. You're now buying it from Susie. How do we get it in Kristen's name? Sure. So in this situation, um, we have a couple different options we can do here. Um, first option being if John Smith is listed as the buyer and he has signed the title, it is signed. Um, what we would do at this point is we would do first, we would go ahead and take that title because it's already signed and we would take that to the DMV and we would process that. And in that time, we would also, while we're waiting for that to be processed as DMV, we would have, so we have to contact John Smith because the title is going to have to come back in John Smith's name. Um, so when that's the case, John Smith 
we find him, you know, track him down on Facebook. You look at Google, you look, you know, your dad's like very old school. I kid him a lot, but he has a phone book. Um, the phone book has actually helped me with quite a bit of, you know, phone numbers, finding people who don't have cell phones. Um, so, you know, at that point you have to track down John Smith because we need his signature. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Um, the other way of doing it is if, so fun fact, um, the mobile home is not actually yours in the eyes of the Secretary of State until your name is printed on the title. So in this case, John Smith, um, he has just signed, hey, I'm purchasing this. If this is the case, um, he's no longer purchasing it, we can go with the seller who you know, originally sold it to John Smith, who is now selling it to us. Um, we can go with them to the DMV. And there are, you know, depending on which state you live in, there is an affidavit um, of a correction of sale where you can, you know, the seller can say, hey, you know, I'm no longer selling this home to John Smith. This home is being sold to Ferdinand. And at that point, you would then turn everything in. The DMV does their magic. They essentially void the signature of the sale for John Smith. And we would get the title back in our name. That's good. I just thought of this. You probably have some sort of chart. I know you and I kind of know this process, but we should, you should, if you don't have a chart, you should create one and we should give it to people because it's, it's a lot, it's hard to follow all the, the name soup and alphabet soup here. And just if somebody sends you a five-star review of the podcast, of this episode, then send them the, send them the chart for free. Um, but so that's, that's one hypothetical, another option there. I think the end user in my, in my litany of names there was, was, was Susie. Um, another, but Susie never had it in her name, but she was supposed, she was supposed to, we can have it shipped to, to Susie or to us and have title in somebody else's name. And if we have a chain of title of a number of bills of sale between all these parties, well, sometimes the person will have a bill of sale, um, which you don't really need a bill of sale if you sign the title. If you get a clean, if you get the clean one, you just sign the back and you, you go title it. Um, the DMV is not going to make you have a bill of sale, but it helps to have a bill of sale, especially if you're going to post pay sales tax and know what the price is. And, but if you have the chain of bill of sale, we could actually get a title mailed to us in Susie's name. And if Susie was the rightful owner and we have a bill of sale, whereby Susie gives us all of her right title and interest and indemnifies us that she's the rightful owner, we can take that in and we can sign. We got to make sure each particular state, or sometimes you got to get the DMV or sometimes you got to get the right person at the DMV. I can sign off and say, Ferdinand, comma, agent for Susie. And then I can get it titled in Ferdinand's name, uh, irrespective of Susie not signing the actual physical title. If I'm now, you got to be careful. You want to make sure you're not committing fraud. And sometimes I've ran into where some of the DM, I used to go to the DMV and do this. And I went to clerk number one and she said, we're not going to do this. You got to get Susie in here. And I'm like, Susie died the day after she gave me the title. I'm not going to find Susie and I'm not going to go through her errors. So I just come back the next day and I go to clerk number two and they just say, here you go. And then they, they rubber stamp it and I get my title. Um, so that's, a, that's one, uh, one good route. Uh, let's say we can't find somebody or let's, let's talk about routes to find somebody who's up the chain of title, who we need, whose signature we need. Um, how, what are some ways we can find them? Yeah, sure. Um, I mentioned earlier, um, the, the easy, most obvious ways um, were, you know, look on Facebook, look on social media, um, that's what I usually do. Sometimes the people who, you know, are a chain of custody back, they're a little bit older. They're probably not going to have social media, Facebook. So then I, you know, you got to do a little more digging check an old phone book. If you have one, um, if you just recently, you know, um, 
you know, found this location, if it's not in a park that you are already managing, it's just a home out in the country, go ahead and check your, ta your, um, your tax records, your, you know, look at your property taxes, go back to the years, you know, back through the years, and you can find another name. Sometimes you can even squeeze a phone number out of someone. Um, you know, it's just, it's always, you know, I'm a big fan of Google, you know, looking at people, looking for the name when you have their address, you know, sometimes you find family members. I had an example of someone who, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, about three, you know, five years back, they'd been gone. They were an older, older gentleman. And I found him through his, I think his nephew on Facebook. And I was like, Hey, you know, I think this is your grandpa or, you know, now great uncle. And, you know, Hey, can you help me get a hold of him? And he did. He said, okay, he lives in Ursa, 20 miles in this farm town, 20 miles away and got in the car, got the signature and it happened. Now that's not always going to be the case. It's not always going to be easy. Um, sometimes you just have to get, you just have to get really creative. And most importantly, it, it will take time. This is not something that, you know, you can expect to fix in 24 hours. It'd be great if you could. Um, but realistically, when you have, when you're going back multiple years with somebody who signed a title, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. Um, you know, if, for instance, we've, um, you know, acquired some parks that we've started managing, um, if that's the case and you're trying to find, you know, chain of custody, talk with the old owner of the mobile home park. Also talk with neighbors. Um, neighbors could say, oh yeah, you know, that's my uncle, you know, uncle Jesse, his nephew's girlfriend's wife, something like that. Um, the unique thing about mobile home parks we found is it's, there's definitely a, a large sense of community. There's a lot of families that reside in the same mobile home parks. Um, so it's a lot of people who they, they know each other or they know someone in someone's family. So it's really just picking up the phone, calling people, you know, knocking on doors if you need to, and you know, just exhausting every avenue. All right. I mean, find the people. So let, let's, that's, I think there's a number of ways to find people. Sometimes offering them money, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks to show if you can find this person. Or we often offer, often offer our park greeters or park managers that, hey, go find this person, get the title, and you can have it. In particular, it's hard to find people when the home is worthless and you want to demolish it. You're not supposed to demolish an abandoned home unless you got the title or you go through a number of processes. The, the, most formal process is the Abandoned Title Act, the Abandoned Housing Act, which typically involves posted notice on the home, posted notice in the newspaper, normally every three weeks, three times, um, send it to the last known person who paid the taxes, the last known occupant, the last known lender, um, hold an auction, you know, win them bid. Each state's a little different, but it's a it's a uh, a long, slow process. And Honestly, I don't think we've ever had to go through that. People all the time say, I go through this process. It's probably 1500 bucks. Hire a local attorney. It's going to take you several months. Um, we've always found other ways to get it done um, that are all legit, right? So um, legit and I think better, faster, bigger, faster, better, faster, cheaper. Um, tell us some of those strategies because that's where that's where the magic happens. I think is avoiding having to hire the dang attorney to do the Abandoned Housing Act and slow down. Because as you know, we like to buy a park and demolish those homes right away because it changes the culture. It shows the new guys are serious. And typically the last guy left those homes sit there for years and years and years and years. So getting them taken care of is, uh, is of a vital importance for a park transformation. So tell us some of the ways you, you, we, get, we find get title when there's no known person, there's no known title easily available. Sure. Um, again, there's multiple scenarios here. Um, one would honestly be one of the most simple things. Um, if you come in, we have a home you want to abandon, Look in the home first. Sometimes people leave their titles in there. They leave it. I mean, that's, that's rare. 
Um, but check the home out first. Um, see if there's anything in there. A lot of times there's a lot of papers, you know, files, go through those. Um, another thing we can do um, is file for a lost title at the Secretary of State's office. Um, that would like require some a little bit additional work because you know we don't know who owned it at first. So we have to, you know, be able to go on and verify through the tax assessor. Um, you know, what's what's the make and model, what's the VIN number. A lot of these older homes that we would demolish, um, they no longer have um, you know, a VIN listed on their cabinet, you know, back. Let, you know, let me let me let me interrupt for a second so I make sure we get all this right. So the VIN you're talking about is the data plate. It's a single piece of paper. It's typically in the behind behind the fridge or inside of one of the kitchen cabinets or in the electrical panel box uh, in the master bedroom. So that's if you want to find and identify the home. But I want to pause for a second on um, lost title. You can't get a lost title unless you have rights to the home. So how do you prove your rights to the home? One trick we use is we, we regularly get the seller of the park to claim ownership of those homes. And they, sometimes they, they say, I don't, I don't have title that one. Okay, well, we have a bill of sale and it's not your typical one pager. It's a, uh, actually it is about one page, but it's a bill of sale we use at closing of a park and it, and it has in there a bunch of representations and warranties by the seller and identifications. And one of them, we list all of the park owned homes, including the abandoned homes. And three out of four times, the seller doesn't, some, one out of four times the seller say, I don't own the abandoned homes. I'm not gonna represent that I own them. And then you gotta go through with some other steps. But oftentimes the seller will say, no, no, I own those. I just don't have title. Now I have some right to that home. We don't know how much of a right. I don't have as much as the person whose name is entitled perhaps, but the seller has represented they own it and seller has told me they own it and I get to rely on that. And I can take that to the state and say, look, this guy says he owns it. This guy, um, give me a bill of sale. This guy does not have the physical title. I'm here to file for a lost title and they'll send it to me in my name. And now the risk is if, you know, you know, you know, John Deere who owns the home has been, you know, in Vietnam for the last 50 years comes out of the woodwork and says, Hey, where's my home? Why'd you just demolish my amazing trailer? That's worth hundred thousand dollars because there were gold bars in it. Right. Um, we can say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, John Deere. Uh, the seller told me he owned it. In fact, he put it in writing. In fact, he indemnified me. So I, I think you need to go sue the seller. And, and if you have some representation that you own it, you, you, you've basically shifted the risk or reallocated the risk to the seller. And that's a faster process. And then, and then the state will give you actual title. And it's very low risk of, the, of John Deere ever coming out of Vietnam and claiming that home that's been empty for 25 years. Um, but an extra belt and suspender method would be take pictures, take video of the home to prove it's absolutely worthless and abandoned. Um, utilities are not paid, taxes are not paid, you know, it's, it's, it's unsafe, it's been condemned, et cetera. And I mentioned condemned, that's another strategy you're going to get to, but can, if you get the city to condemn the home, you, there's often a, a path to faster uh, demolish timeline. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct on that bird. Um, you know, a lot of homes will come into the older parks, you'll see homes, you know, they're, they're just junk. There's, it's essentially just scrap sitting on your lot. Um, at that point, you know, you call your city. That's when you make some friends. Um, you know, when we start managing a park in a new place, we always try, you know, we call and introduce ourselves. Call and introduce yourself to city officials. Meet people because those people will be the same ones that can help you, that can make this process easier for you or harder. Right. And you, we, you, I interrupted you when you were talking about the, the data plate to find sure. the VIN because sometimes... Like, I don't know, one park we bought, there were 25 park on homes. The guy gave us a box with 35 titles and said, pick 25. I'm like, okay, how do we match the home up? If the, if the cabinets have been ripped out, 
and you can't find the data, can't find the data plate, how else do we identify the home? Sure. Um, one way that if they still have it, or sometimes underneath the hitch, um, on the hitch of each home, um, there is stamped in the VIN number. Um, over time, this can erode, it can go away, but we have been able to pull, here in Quincy even, been able to pull a VIN number off of a, um, a hitch by taking a piece of paper and a pencil and etching it, um, and we, we pulled it off. Um, another way that you can do that, and we can also verify, is to look at those county tax records. Um, look at the tax records, you can pull up your mobile home, your parcel, and say, okay, here, here's the VIN number they had. Nine times, nine and a half times out of 10, it's going to be the correct thing. Um, you're not going to suddenly say, oh, these, you know, these are completely different. Um, and again, if you cannot find any kind of number on this mobile home, you've checked everything, it's not there, doesn't exist, go to that county assessor. That, will, that, that is going to be your law. That's going to say this is, you know, they're going to be correct. And yeah, that, is, that part, is your VIN number. Yeah, for the most part, the county's got, depends on the state. Some states don't have... Uh, you know, Missouri has personal property tax. Illinois has mobile home privilege tax. So there's there typically is a, a tax man that is watching these homes for purposes of revenue collection. Um, and sometimes they have a HUD seal on the outside too. If they're after, after post nineteen seventy six, it should have a HUD seal. But we've seen those sure. off. It's a big it's a big time no no to take those off. But we've seen them taken off many a times. Um, but yeah, talking with the county is good to identify them. And sometimes you can't get the VIN, but you can you can measure it. And this is clearly a sixteen by sixty. It says Fleetwood on the front. Um, okay, it's you can tell by the roof line, it's 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000. You tell the age and, and roughly, and you can likely um, match them up. But I want to mention taxes. Um, you mentioned finding it through tax man, but there's, there's a, there's a nice, nice little tip here. You can buy these homes on taxes. I've bought, I don't know, seven or eight homes at the tax sale, and not because they were worth anything, but just because it was it cost $695 in, you know, in some states, at least a couple of states I've done it in. Minimum bid, nobody bids on them because they're worthless because it's a demolishable, demolishable home. Pay six ninety five, you get it right there. As opposed to paying attorney fifteen hundred dollars to wait two months. So getting the taxes. So we've also bought homes in the tax sale that are worth twenty thousand uh, bucks. It's pretty rare. Um, but so what I don't want to do is let my tenants' taxes get, go unpaid. So one thing we do is we we watch the taxes annually to make sure our tenants are paying them. And if they don't, we have a provision in our lease that we can pay them on their behalf and add it to their monthly invoice. That way these homes don't get sold for taxes and pulled out of the park. How often, I mean, how is it, is that as simple as asking the list? I mean, you're the one that's been watching those in, in years past. Is, is that all, is that the process to ask the county for the yep. tax sale list? Yep, and you know, they'll give you a list. Uh, make sure you ask specifically, hey, I need the ones with mobile homes. A lot of times it's gonna be um, just um, single family housing that's selling. So just be sure um, to say, hey, mobile home tax sale. Um, again, some there's, you know, you're going to see a lot of duds. Um, you're going to see, you're going to find some gold sometimes. Um, you know, I know we've, we got really lucky here in Quincy on one of our homes. We bought a tax sale, I think $700. Um, I think, gosh, we, um, you know, bought that $700. The great thing about tax sale is when you purchase it, they do the title work for you. So you purchase it, you send one check, you fill out a paper and the tax assessor, when you get it back in the mail, you'll get the title clean. No need to go to the DMV. So I, I'm a big fan of purchasing homes at tax sales. Um, but again, you know, you can, you can get really lucky. You can find some gold or, you know, you can find, you know, something like I did. I think my first stud, I found one. It looked beautiful. Um, so tip about tax sale homes. I found one here in Quincy. Thought it was great. I went and, you know, found it in Quincy, looked on the outside. You can't go inside. Um, doors are locked. Windows were crowded. And 
I'm sure you're still hurting over this. Um, come to find out, we get the title back, we open it up, and it's completely destroyed on the inside. You know, terrible water damage, you know, it, it's unfixable at that point. So, you know, really do a little more due diligence on homes that you are purchasing. Um, again, don't, don't, open, don't go into the house. You can't do that. But you can, you know, look in the windows, look around and, you know, just use some, you know, rational skills. You know, what's the roof look like? What's the age of the home? And just imagine what kind of, you know, issues you'll foresee in the future. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, I don't want to give people false hope here, but I would I would say it's it is very rare to find any gold at the tax sale. And I used to work in Jackson County. I saw thousands of people stand on the courthouse steps bidding to buy gold, and not very many of them found it. Um, you can't get inside the homes. A lot of the mobile homes I, I used to drive the, drive the lists, and most of the homes aren't there. The county thinks they're there, and they nobody's paying tax on them because the home was demolished already or the home moved away. So. It's, it's more often than not, it's a waste of time, but we have, you know, found a few of them that worked out. Uh, one of them we bought was, uh, I bought it, somebody was living in it. And, and it was, they had filed bankruptcy and their bankruptcy attorney forgot to pay the property taxes. So we, I called and I said, hey, uh, called the family and said, sir, hey, uh, you're in my house. And they said, no, we're not, we filed bankruptcy. We're supposed to stay a bunch of these, uh, you know, credit collections and such. And the attorney said, you can't do this. Um, Bankruptcy trumps everything. I said, but you didn't pay the taxes. He goes, well, it's supposed to stop a tax sale. I said, I'm holding the title to this home. So it didn't. So what do you do about it? And he goes, well, you, I'll sue you. I'll win. I said, you're going to spend 50, your client's going to, your client with no money is going to spend 50 grand to sue me to get this $8,000 trailer. And he's like, ah. So he ended up offering me like five grand for his mistake. And he, uh, and, the, and we got paid five grand and gave him the title back. But it, it was a, you know, easiest five grand ever problem. Um, what other ways do we find titles that are? I know we, I know you got more more strategies. If, if you can't find if you can't find the people in the chain, it's hard to get the lost title. If you can't, if the taxes are paid, hard to do that. You don't want to do the Bannon Housing Act unless you have to. What are some other steps before we get there? Um, this one again, it depends on your year. Um, I've had a case where um, the title actually did not exist because when the manufacturer gave it to um, you know, the purchaser, they never registered it with the state. Um, so at that point, I think it was probably a two, 2000 and, and forward. Um, I then thought, okay, I'm, I have to call the manufacturer. No title exists. I exhausted my resources looking at, you know, the, the tax rolls and, um, you know, just anything and everything. It just didn't exist. So I um, called the manufacturer and said, hey, I got this home here. Um, you know, this is who I know purchased it. There's no title. They never registered it. So, you know, you go, you go through a process there and they can send you that original certificate, manufacturer certificate of origin. And then you can, you know, then put that in, you know, title that in your name. Um, but again, that is, you know, depending on the age, you know, if we're thinking here like 70s, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, most likely the manufacturer, they're not going to have that information still. Um, I know one of um, the manufacturers did tell me they only keep, you know, 20 and 11 forward. Everything else is on their old system or, you know, in the 60s, 70s, they, it was all paper. It wasn't on the computer. It wasn't on the cloud, like everything we have. Um, another way of just looking for the title is, you know, going, so we did a lost title. Um, you can go and just file for that, look around for it. Um, let me think. What about, what about, we had the double wide in at uh, Paradise Lane where we were renovating it and we goofed and we did not get the title transfer properly. We didn't realize the seller who lived in the park, who lived in this home, 
didn't give us the title of closing. And, and the title was in John Smith's name prior up the chain. And John Smith was still alive. So we could have went and got his signature to sign off, but the home was worth $40,000. So we didn't want John Smith to be like, oh, cool. I need my signature. I'll just move right into this, get my $40,000 home back. Right. So we were kind of in a pickle. So we had to use a different strategy you mentioned so far, and it was bonded title. Uh, explain that process if you, if you recall it, and I'll, I'll supplement your. That's the only time we've ever done it, I think. Yeah, yeah, and that was and that was a big thing. So you know, again, we had this big double wide. Um, we we didn't have a title, and we we needed to do remodel work, get it going. Um, so we got a bonded title. We talked to insurance agent. So bonded title, um, that is saying you know someone is vouching for us that yes, um, this is you know this is theirs. This is in the works. We presented them with the legal paperwork that hey, we purchased this home free and clear. Um, from this purchaser um, it, that it's legitimate sale. Um, and at that point, they, you know, they bond the title and saying it's, it's security for us saying, you know, we're putting money into this remodel. If, you know, previous owner comes back, says, oh, I, I want this now. It's, it's beautiful. It's fixed. That is going to protect us. That is going to say, hold on. No, this is, that's not the case. You, you know, this home is not yours. This is you know, ours. This is Kristen and Ferd's home. Um, and then, you continue to um, file for the title. Once you have that um, bonded bonded title, you would then take that information. I think after there's a waiting period of so many days, um, you can take that information to the DMV and say, "Hey, here's you know here's my information." It's just an alternative route of doing it. Um, I do recommend when you do something a little off book like that to call ahead. A lot of times when you go, um, the representatives at your Secretary of State's office. They don't know what that is. They're used to seeing a regular title with a signature. So my advice is call ahead, ask to speak to a manager, explain what you're going to come in for, and ask them what exactly you need. A lot of times they have to call the state office and right. get you know some clarifications. You know, so that way you're not going to your DMV and waiting three hours only to be turned away. Um, so you know that's definitely definitely what I would do. Yeah, let, let me supplement that um, process a little bit. So the bonded title, it's basically an insurance policy. So the example here, we bought the park from a guy named Kirk. We bought this home from a guy named Kirk. Kirk did not have the physical title. Kirk did not um, have any contract with John Smith that we bought it from. We had a contract with Kirk to buy the park. We transferred via warranty deed. And then to buy three or four mobile homes, we transferred via a written bill of sale, a couple of which did not have physical titles in his possession, one of which was a burned out home we had to demo. So we did not have, uh, you could call it, I think it's privity of contract with John Smith. So we couldn't just go get a title, go to the DMV. Hey, look, I bought it. I bought this from Kirk. They're going to say, who's Kirk? We have it on record of John Smith owning this. We didn't want to go talk to John Smith. We didn't want him to kind of try grab our 40 grand, but we were a reasonable, reasonable buyer in good faith. So we were able to get an insurance policy through our insurance company and get to pay. And we think it was like a $50,000 premium. So and what that meant was if we sold the house to, if I sold the house to Kristen, Kristen legitimately can get title because I had a bonded title. Now, if John Smith comes out back from Vietnam and he knocks on the door and says, get out of my home, Kristen says, whoa, 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 I bought it from Ferd and I got a legit title. Now, John's going to be pissed. So he's going to call me and sue me. And I'm going to say, here's the deal, man. I got a bonded title insurance policy. So you don't get the actual home back because Kristen's a legit buyer. But what you get is you get to draw down my insurance policy and my insurance company is going to pay you 50 grand. So you're going to be, quote, taken care of. Now, because my insurance company is going to lose 50 grand, they're going to charge me a premium. 
and not a premium is in a you know high value, but a premium is like an insurance premium. Insurance premium in a fifty thousand dollar house, it was about eleven hundred dollars per year, and you're required to do it for three years. And if if John Smith doesn't come back in three years after you bought the bonded title, presumably he ain't ever coming back, and you and you quote got away with it. Now it cost you three grand. Now in our case, we we didn't want to pay three grand or thirty three hundred. Well, we had to, right? So we we paid it for one one year up front, and then we sold the house to the next person who got a legitimate title. Now that we had the safety, we figured, let's go see if John Smith's a nice guy. Turns out he was still alive. He was a, not a grumpy old man like we often. He was a nice old man. And you, you or dad went and found him, knocked on his door, and he was in a nursing home or something, and said, mm-hmm. hey, John, you sold this to Kirk 25 years ago. He goes, yeah, yeah, I did. I remember. You know, Kirk lost a title. I bought it from Kirk. Would you sign this bill of sale saying any right you have, you give to me? He said, yes. He's a nice guy. He signed it. He was paid for it by Kirk years ago, so it was fair. Um, we then have paperwork showing we were the rightful owner from John Smith to Kirk or John Smith to us, Kirk to us. We then give that to the insurance company and say, we don't need your bonded title anymore. We're legit. And we canceled the bonded title. We got $900 back and we didn't have to pay year two, pay year three. And the person we sold it to doesn't have to worry about Either Kirk, me, or John Smith coming back out of the woodwork to place a claim on their title. So that was, the bonded title process is probably the rarest. Um, I don't know, 10 people know about it. And it's, it's probably the most complicated. Um, but man, it, it sure saved me the risk of 40 grand um, in that one instance, which was, you know, us, us kind of cleaning up a, a mistake where we didn't catch this one at acquisition. Right. Yep, and that just, you know, goes into the, you know, the school of hard knocks, things that we're learning that, you know, that's, that's what helps that make us, you know, great in, in our industry here. Um, you know, the, the things that you've learned, things you've learned for just like that, um, a lot of people haven't experienced that. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to experience that at some point in this, in this game. So, you know, you're the mobile home park lawyer for a reason. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> um, but, you know, what's, again, what, I, what's one thing we'd never want to do? This is easy. Oh, man. It happens there's, all the time. But, but. There's like five things we never want to do. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't even know what your first one is. I think to me, it's. Well, I mean, it's pretend we pretend in this example, we couldn't find John Smith. What's the thing we never want to do is we, want, oh, we, never, want to, we never want to forge his signature. Yes. Don't commit your first fraud, um, your first felony on a trailer. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You know, get a better story later, you know, something cooler. But yeah, don't don't forge people's names. Um, you know, sometimes I know it's probably really tempting. You have someone and you see the signature line free and clear and it's just, oh, let me just write their name in. Don't do it. Um, it's not worth it. Um, and it's illegal. Don't, you know, just don't do it. It's easy to do, but not worth it. It's never going to turn out well for you. Um, you know, definitely just take the time, do it right, get it done free and clear. And we know about that process because we we had a tenant that claimed, I think he claimed dad did this and mm-hmm. and the attorney general got involved and ended up mm-hmm. saying they dad didn't do it and they couldn't prove he did it and right. it was dismissed. But you know, it sure we, we do our today's plan as far as priorities. That's not on my plan, that's not on my plan today, but it would move to the top of the list when the attorney general gives you a ring. So yeah. um don't jack with that. Um but I, I, I have clients that said, hey, what if I just do this? And I'm just like, don't do that. I don't want to know. Um, I'm not going to say which client that is. Um, <laughs> I thought that would probably get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, anyway, any other yeah. any other tips or tricks or, or items yeah. you missed? Yeah, just um, some you know quick tips. Um, again, like I said, make friends with everybody. You know, 
be free to sigh and you, you know, catch more flies with honey, I think you told me. Um, also, um, just quick tips about when you actually get the title, make sure it's not a fake. Um, a couple, you know, a couple months ago, we had a woman, um, she gave me a title, said, hey, it's signed, clear, um, looked great, everything was signed, everything was great. Um, go to the DMV, they say, touched it, this is fake. I'm thinking, what? And I look and, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, the, the ink, is, it's right. I know it's a real title. I hold five titles in my hand each day. She holds it up, no watermark. And again, like school of hard knocks for Kristen. Um, in that sense, um, I, you know, I go back to the seller. She, um, she didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know. I've seen so many, it had perforation marks in the bottom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I said, Hey, you know, her, I asked her, Hey, you know, this is fake. She's like, Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know. And then we filed for, you know, a lost title. We went through that process. It worked out. Um, but yeah, definitely like seal it, you know, it's like $20 bill. If it, if you, you know, hold it up, make sure there's a watermark. Uh, make sure it's, it's thicker. These are not going to be your regular printer paper. Um, it's going to be a little bit more heft to it. Um, another thing also, don't, if you're writing on your title, you're signing it, do not scratch anything out. The DMV will say yes. leave. Um, I think one time we signed and I think it was, you know, just a misspelling and I put a line through it, had to start the entire process over. Um, and another thing I know we've gotten from one of our parks we were managing, they you know, we got our titles and I found one that was in a bag because it was disintegrated. Um, thank goodness that title was a home that we demoed. Um, but again, that's, that would be another issue. Um, yeah, just don't scratch it. Don't, just don't do anything. Another good tip is when you get it, if you're, you know, managing multiple mobile home, mobile home parks, um, always, we always put the lot number in the bottom left-hand corner. Oftentimes when you're getting these titles, you're not going to mail it or register it into the actual address of the mobile, the mobile home, you're going to put it in your office address. Um, so again, you know, you'll just put it in the bottom left-hand corner, put, you know, lot two. Um, that's not defacing the title at all. Um, it's just you labeling, putting something on there for you to know internally. Um, also, you know, keep a, keep a list of all of your homes. Keep an Excel file, um, you know, with your lot, your address, your VIN, you're making your model. Um, just in case something happens, in case you lose your title, um, in case, you know, it helps you with comes tax time to make sure that you've paid your property taxes so your mobile homes don't end up on the tax sale. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's all sorts of things. Um, you know, again, like, this is what the mobile home park lawyer is here for, you know, contact no, us. Like, no, you, you, no cannot, you cannot pay me enough to do your mobile home title issue, so... I do not want any phone calls on that. You can you can hire me to do a lot of stuff, and that is not one of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's it's such a pain. Um, All right. I don't need the money that bad. <laughs> um, that's um, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. One one last thing too. Um, third on these titles, when you get your title, um, just check to make sure there's no liens. There's no bank liens placed on this. Um, if there, you know, nowadays when you purchase something through a bank, they'll hold the title, the physical title for you. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. Um, it would just have a lien stamped on the title. Um, so when you get it, if you see something that says lien, uh, make sure there's a signature that says lien released there, you know, a couple, oh, a couple of years ago now, um, I had a home that I got a title on, they sold it to me and it said lien. So I had to find the original bank in Nebraska, um, call them, send, you know, send all the information and this, you know, because you're working with a bank and it, I'm not the, the person who, you know, it's not my account. I had to fill out, you know, all the legal paperwork necessary, um, you know, and it worked out. They sent me what I needed and I could transfer it. But, you know, big thing here is just be vigilant. Um, don't wait. Don't wait. When you purchase a home, 
don't be like other people. Don't make this mistakes I've made of waiting to get it transferred. Cause then, you know, we could sell the house in a month and all of a sudden I don't have a title. Yeah, um, so, you know, the minute it's in your hot hand, you need to go to work. The minute it's in your hand, that's number one on your list. Yep. Title, title stuff fast. So the rest it becomes a pain. Right. One thing too, if, there, if there's a bank lien, typically the bank is holding the physical title. The bank is smart. They're going to perfect their lien. They're going to file the UCC, the Secretary of State, and they're going to have it in their in their desk. Um, so you, when you buy those, you may just get a photocopy from the person, or just call the bank, get authorization, get it by returning, and then and call for payoff and pay the bank directly and have the title mailed you directly. That way, there's less. Um, what do I say? Don't trust and verify. So just, I'm paying the bank. The title is going to me. Sign off. You know. I don't want the title going to the person after I've paid it off because um, they may sell it and run off again. So lots of things can go wrong with title. Um, it's just be diligent, follow the process and, and be, and just be very diligent, frankly. Yeah. All right, Kristen, thanks for sharing your wisdom. Uh, Till right. next time. All right. Bye thanks for guys. having me. You got it. Bye now. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.